0: Welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Great Muppet Caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand.
1: And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe.
0: And joining us today, we're very excited to have a first-time guest. Tell the listeners who you are, first-time guest.
2: My name is Leah Papazoglu. I am the wife of Peter Papazoglu, so I am a Muppet-in-law. Like uh, Sam the Eagle, I think you are all a bunch of weirdos. Uh, But like Kermit, I'm the weirdest of them all because I surround myself with you all voluntarily. um, And I'm I'm very honored to be here in a sort of amateur role, impersonating someone who knows more than they are uh, actually equipped to talk about.
0: Here, here's the thing, though. We are all amateurs. Like we didn't, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't make the great movie. Caper. That's true. Um, but but we are so thrilled to have you. We I'm should so also mention
1: um, I, you've written at least one thing for the Tough Pigs website. I think I
2: did. I think I sort of made a, a written cameo there. And you wrote uh, a review
1: of one of the Studio DC specials on the Studio Disney. Studio DC. I almost did. Lied.
2: I did. I you did, did it, so the rest um, of
1: us didn't have to.
2: It's true. I, I watched was, I, it so that I was others gonna... could be spared. Right well I was going to say
0: I actually reviewed the other one. So <laughs> the the entire uh Tough Pigs review staff for Studio DC Almost Live is well, on this episode.
2: Anthony, this is like meeting up with another marine and talking about which tour of duty you did <laughs> or something so.
0: Right. I did the one where Miley Cyrus or Selena Gomez possibly tries to tell jokes with Fozzie. Okay. Yeah. I don't even remember. I don't even re- <laughs> Okay, anyways. All right. So today we are talking about Muppets 35 and 36. Of The Great Muppet Caper.
1: You actually in said these Muppets minutes, 35 and 36, but that's great. I, I please, did not. You did, but please continue.
0: Okay. Uh, t- today, we are looking at minutes 35 and 36 of The Great Muppet Caper, in which our heroes Neville and Dorcas talk about the weather, hear a grunting sound outside, and see a pig climbing up the outside of their house. Finally, in a stunning twist, that pig sneaks into their upstairs and makes a loud crash. So... That's what we have here. I, I I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that the heroes of these minutes are Neville and Dorcas.
1: Absolutely. Um, and you just made it sound pretty exciting, actually.
2: Well... <laughs> You know, it's I I was actually gratified that, as I was mentioning earlier, I I don't know much about the technical wizardry of uh, the Muppets and how they're executed. So I felt a little bit more equipped to approach this scene because it is so human centric. Um, They they pull off the rare feat of actually upstaging Miss Piggy, which is a hard thing to do. Um, But they are so captivating in their utter blandness in these couple of minutes, I have to say.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, no, I agree. Well, and I, I guess we should say who they are. We haven't really introduced them yet. Um, Dorcas is played by Joan Sanderson, who it, actually, like, I think most people don't, like, most Muppet fans watching Great Muppet Keeper don't know really who Joan Sanderson is. She actually had a very long career, mostly in television. That's She did a lot the of 50- theater also. A lot, a lot of theater. She did a lot of TV from, like, the 50s into the 90s. Um she was a regular on two hit sitcoms. She was one of the teachers on Please Sir, which did 55 episodes. That is between, such
1: a British title.
0: Such a British <laughs> title. Did 55 episodes in the late 60s, early 70s. And then um, she was on another hit show called Me and My Girl, which did I really, really, really wanted 80s. it.
2: I, I, Anthony, I wanted it to be called Can I Have Some More as the sequel to Please Sir. <laughs> sure. That's just a real missed opportunity there. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is. It is. Um, the That one was about a widowed dad, and she was like uh the mother in law slash grandmother of the of the lead characters hmm. so so she she was around. I mean, I think British audiences certainly would recognize her.
1: She also appeared in a British TV adaptation of Alice in Wonderland in which uh I, I think she she did the voice over a performance of a puppet. so that this is not her only experience with puppets
0: well, and what's weird is I found out that that was actually also nineteen eighty five which is the same year as the American Alice in Wonderland that uh, two other actors in this movie appeared in. Oh yeah. Um, so that it's, we keep bringing up 1985 TV adaptations <laughs> of insane. Alice in Wonderland for some reason. Well, I do
1: because I'm, that's one of my favorite things of my childhood. That other one. You, but.
0: your life is defined by the 1985 <laughs> Alice in Wonderland. Kind of is, yeah. Yeah. So many yeah, you show actually...
1: business people that I know, I know because of that thing.
0: I don't think that we've talked about the fact that you actually mailed me a DVD copy so I could show it to
1: my daughter. We have not talked about that on the air, no.
2: I now enjoy this special because I feel that I must have been in some sort of, like, you know, containment chamber during 1985 because I have no recollection of this at all.
1: It's a a two-episode adaptation. Uh, The first half is Alice in Wonderland. The second half is Alice Through the Looking Glass. And it's just full of mostly B and C level celebrity cameos.
0: I mean... I mean Ringo Starr plays the Mock Turtle. So Yeah, he might that, be one of the most I mean, famous C-list, people in it actually. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Um anyways, uh, so that's that's Joan Sanderson in a nutshell. Neville of course is John Cleese, which when people talk about this scene, they say, "Oh, the scene with John Cleese." Like Joan Sanderson doesn't get mentioned by name because most people don't know her by name, I think. John Cleese is one of the one of the Monty Python guys. I think most of our listeners probably know that he was on the Muppet Show. He was memorably a psychiatrist on an episode of Cheers. Um, hmm. He's in a fish called Wanda. You know, he's, he's John Cleese.
1: I feel like most of our listeners know who he is. He but created and starred in Faulty Towers.
0: He created and starred in Faulty Towers. That's right. Um, he, in addition to many, many other things, and uh, here he does maybe the most low key performance of his career, and it's it is true. A, it is a delight, Ryan. Go yeah.
1: On. Oh, I was just going to say he uh also among his other credits, he voiced the ape named Ape in the George of the Jungle movie in the 90s and that uh puppet was built by the Jim Henson Creature Shop. So. Yeah.
0: And actually, did, did either of you guys ever read the book um uh, what's the coffee table book about the Jim Henson Creature Shop?
1: No strings attached.
0: No strings attached. In the in the jacket for that book, it says find out the stories behind your favorite Henson creatures, including the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and George of the Jungle, which makes it sound like Brendan Fraser is a Henson creature.
1: Yeah, the creature shop did a great job on Brendan Fraser.
0: And that has stuck with me for 20 <laughs> very years lifelike. since I read that book. <laughs> uh, so yeah, John Cleese's uh, best-known role, an ape named Ape. <laughs> So let's talk about him here. He's re, he's really good. What do you, what 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 do
2: you guys think about old I John Cleese? You know, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned him being. Um, you know, it's it's an understated performance because I do think of him in in Faulty Towers and other performances where he's made of Gumby. Uh, you know, he, where he's he's sort of got an elastic body and he's he's you know in this sort of very uh, physicalized kind of comedy. And here it's really just a masterclass. The two of them are a masterclass in – underreacting um and and it's so captivating as i said before that they can be that you can be transfixed by how little they're giving you to respond to and how little they're responding to each other um and what i what i I said earlier that I practiced strict discipline and not watching the couple of minutes beforehand or even the seconds beforehand. And I think the first thing she says is it's been terribly disappointing. And you just sort of know that she's talking about the weather. You don't have to, you know, because it's so quintessentially British. Um, But I, I also just found that uh, I said to Peter after watching it, This is two minutes of the dialectic between id and superego just being dramatized. You have a pig (laughs) climbing up the outside of a house. And if there's any Muppet or, or figure in the world who can just encapsulate id more than Miss Piggy, I've yet to meet him or her. And then you have these two folks who just, you know, can't can't seem to get activated about anything and are so deeply repressed um that it just all the comedy is in the juxtaposition i mean they do they really are the heroes of the scene but i think there's so much to be mined and just the fact that the camera keeps going back the the lighting is different between the two the music is different every time they switch between the two shots and it's just phenomenally entertaining (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, I never noticed about the music.
1: But That's yeah, a really good right. point about the music. Yeah, it adds a lot to it. it. It's such a great contrast when you go from Piggy on the outside of the house with this sort of like sneaking around danger type music to this very um, elegant sounding uh, sort of classical music. But I have
2: to say, you know, the other thing that really jumped out at me is there's this <laughs> there's this like quintessential British tragedy in his inability to be activated. So it's funny because he's, he seems distracted and I can't tell what he's actually thinking about And She keeps, she says at some point, like, am I boring you? And so he seems deeply bored. But when all of a sudden this opportunity for like intense excitement presents itself, he, he doesn't, get activated he can't get excited about it and i thought oh it's so sad he's been practicing you know repression for such a long time that even given the opportunity to get really excited that there is a pig on the outside of his house he's just <laughs> sort of unable to summon a response to it like he, right. he's just habitually bland
0: Although I do love that his response to, am I boring you includes, you'd have to go a long way to find a chef who was more stimulated than me. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Exactly. So good. And then a sort of like British chuckle. Like, I I mean, there's even, there's a sort of repression in his indigestion. Like he has this sort of very British belch in the first couple of seconds. And then he's sort of like working out some food in his teeth, but in like the most discreet and sort of genteel way. like it's, and then at one point, um, she even she hears a sound and she suddenly seems a bit, I mean, it's Piggy, and she seems a bit startled and she says, what was that? And he says, oh, no, dear, I was just making a point, as if to reassure her, like, no, no, don't, <laughs> right. don't get alarmed. I'm right. just making there's, a point. There's nothing to be concerned about here.
0: Right. There, there's nothing else happening outside of right. our right. little... Right.
2: And, and exactly. also, he doesn't bubble.
1: want the conversation to escalate in any way. Right, right. <laughs> right.
0: Well, and, and isn't that when he calls her my little Armada? That might exactly. be later.
1: Yeah, I, I love what an unusual <laughs> pet name that is.
0: Yeah, it's great though. It makes me laugh every time.
2: I rewatched it repeatedly with captions on on YouTube which are unreliable at best. Um to try to figure out what he says and I I think that was what I deduced was Armada um which you know she's she's so placid that the idea of her being um you know a, a forceful presence is again just part of the the my question for you all is do you know how much of that scene was ad-libbed?
0: You know, I don't, Ryan, you, you were looking over the earlier draft of the script. So you might, you might know more.
1: That draft from, uh, July 22nd, 1980. Um, a lot of it is there. It's pretty much all there. There are some extra lines and little, uh, moments of their conversation that got cut, which is for the better. Like they both had a lot more dialogue, which wasn't really needed. Um, they just kind of go on and on, especially later, like when he's talking about um, going to the store to buy something. If he were bored, he talks about going to buy a necktie and stuff like that that's not in this. But um, yeah, the, the general idea of all of it is there. There is an exchange um, that they keep coming back to where she's offering him food and he turns it down or he, he accepts it or he turns it down. So it starts where she says, peas, and he says, please. <laughs> And then she says <laughs> wine, he says fine.
0: No, no.
1: And then she says duck and he says yuck. <laughs> when she says tea, he says not for me. And then later it cuts back to them and she says spinach and he says finished.
0: <laughs> no. See, that's uh... like that's cute. It's, it's it seems like something else. It's too like, funny, it's, is what it is. It's too much of a joke. Yeah, it's a children's book. The it's joke, a children's book. Yeah, it's the not.
1: joke here is that they're not being funny. That's what makes it so funny,
0: right? Which which and like when I was a kid, even like as a young teenager, I didn't think this was good. I thought this was like the oh, worst sure. part of the movie.
1: I didn't appreciate it for a long time.
0: Oh, it
2: was such a slowdown. I was like, we've lost all the momentum. Get back to Piggy. <laughs> like, again, I didn't care about people underreacting. I wanted to keep watching her climb the side of the road. And, you know, again, I was sort of like, who are these people? I, I was sort of, um, you know, the Muppets featured pretty prominently in my childhood and that my parents really liked the Muppet show. And we did go see all the movies. And I remember listening to the soundtrack and all that. And I did not understand the presence of humans mm. in Muppet in in really any Muppet media I w- they just seemed distracting to me um, I think the guest was probably my least favorite part of the Muppet show where you know to me it was like get back to the puppets um, sure, and yeah. so I do remember that distinctly as a child uh, being sort of annoyed by this scene um, and I agree Whoa. with you This the sort of rhyming but the, the sort of like rhyming volley going back and forth there is it seems tonally off from at least the two minutes that I watched it yeah. seems like that's part of a whole different scene
1: yeah it, it would have been wrong for this um, that, that thing about the, the being uh, annoyed by the human characters, this is only tangentially related, but it reminds me when I was a little kid. You know the scene in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where everyone's going crazy for the golden tickets, and there's that lady whose husband has been kidnapped, and the, the captors want her supply of Wonka yes, bars? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, I used to think that was... That was in there accidentally from a different movie <laughs> well, because it was so tonally different. And I was just like, what is this? This is the wrong movie. Get back to wait, Willy Wonka.
0: But I, but I think that's the joke, right? Yes, of that, course. Like, I, I like, All of a sudden, you're in, this, you're, you're, you're in this cop show or whatever.
1: Right. It's just showing how desperate people are for Wonka bars. But it, yeah, it was a similar yeah. thing where I was like, you know, get get back to the real thing. I can't
2: believe that's the bit that you didn't think was part of Willy Wonka and not the fever dream in the tunnel, because that was absolutely (laughs) the part where I was like, so I just had a dissociative episode and I guess I should start watching the movie again. (laughs) Yes,
1: but Charlie and Willy Wonka are on screen for that. Yeah, Gene Wilder
0: performs it.
1: That's Um, that's
2: fair. Well, and
0: even as long as as, I don't want to stick on Willy Wonka for too long, (laughs) but the one where Tim Brooke Taylor has the computer that he wants it to tell him where to find the golden ticket. That was the other one, yeah. That one feels a little closer tonally. I don't know. It's just, it's funnier, you know? Right. It's um, lighter. Well, he, 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 even as a kid, I recognized that Tim brooke Taylor was a silly person, I think, like, as soon as you see him.
1: Right. He's, he's that, playing more of a caricature.
0: He, right.
2: He also, so, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if, if he's not funny, someone needs to tell his face. Like, it's, you know, that... <laughs> Like it would sort of be unfair to come into the world with a face like that and and be not funny. Um, <laughs> right. And, right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, interestingly, it's funny that you mentioned that because now I'm starting to think that this podcast is where all the threads of the universe come together um, and space-time is understood in its entirety because earlier Obviously. today, I thought of that scene, and I promise this will be my last tangent. Hmm. Um, I'm lying. Uh, that um, please, there please. Is a, there's a new book out now on how woefully unprepared NASA was to actually achieve the mission of a man on the moon in 10 years and everything that they did in order to make that happen um, in the 60s. And they talked about how you used to feed sort of bits of physical script into computers. And... It reminded me that that was the most confusing bit of that of that movie to me. When he would feed, you know, because he feeds messages into the machine, and the machine spits out other messages. Yeah. and I was like, what is he like? What is this weird form of communication? You know, there was no idea, there was no sense of like you could type something in, or that computers were running code that you weren't consistently having to feed them in physical pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing that twice in my life today.
1: I, I am it. now telling the computer that I will gladly I, share with it the grand prize. <laughs>
2: I'm now telling the computer exactly what it can do with a lifetime supply of chocolate. Um,
0: and Tim Brooke Taylor was on The Goodies, which was kind of like one of these Monty Python-esque shows, which brings us back to John Cleese. Which I think I interrupted you <laughs> so, earlier, Anthony, so well
2: you done. remember what you that were was say. Br- That was a bravura segue, I must
0: say. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, but uh, just we talked on The Muppet Movie about how Steve Martin and especially Mel Brooks kind of take over. And become the star of that movie for a couple of minutes. And this is like the most extreme version of that, I think. Like those guys kind of do that, you know, in the sense that they take over. This becomes a movie about John Cleese and Joan Sanderson for these, <laughs> yeah, for these two, you know, scene. like like we like Leah, you mentioned Piggy a couple of times. Piggy literally has a line in this
2: mm-hmm.
0: in these two minutes, and nobody, no other Muppets appear anywhere.
2: It is so, a, it is like a little bit of a one act you know like it's it it, it could be a sort of like standalone you imagine it as like a um like a freshman theater piece of like a a couple that has you know never had passion or spark, and they're sitting there having a you know a depressing dinner, and she you know is sort of feeding him bits of conversation. And again, I can't get over how distracted he seems, and yet unexcited. Um, so I'm like, what is in his mind? Because it can't be something that's really energizing him very much, but he's certainly not particularly you know present in any meaningful way. And it's it's maybe it's just sort of like the effect of age that. I remember watching it as a child and being annoyed and watching it repeatedly preparing for this conversation. And again, this sort of like this sadness, this this tristesse is sort of emerging from how um, how vacant he is. I was like, he's not even a, he's not present in his own life. Like, it, you know, it was, there is was something. Um, there's something of, like, a, like I said, a, a sort of very quiet British tragedy about his, now I, I don't know what happens in the subsequent minutes, because again, I was a very disciplined student, um, but that he, you know, a pig climbs up the outside of his house and he just doesn't have the will to respond. And his wife isn't really listening to him say, you know, I think she asks for clarification a bit later, like, did you say a pig? And when he clarifies, it's sort of like, oh yeah, oh good, I just wanted to make sure that I heard you correctly, but like neither of them has a particular action item coming out of that it's like you know, <laughs> right. noted you know right well and, and i love the
0: way that he absentmindedly says uh pig <laughs> <laughs> like it's not like he says uh yes a pig it's just uh pig climbing up the house or whatever so good
2: I'm so glad that you called out a bit about her career as well, Joan Sanderson, because I was unfamiliar with her. Um, I'm guessing she's probably better known to British audiences. But it would be so easy for a lesser performer to be really um, sort of outclassed by John Cleese in a scene like this or to sort of have her just be the straight man to his straight. Like it's it's quite a thing to have two straight men who can sort of uh-huh. be equally funny and yeah. equally straight at the same time. And she's just, meet, like, they're meeting each other at the entirety of these two minutes. Um, which I thought, again, was just, I, my my hat was really off to her. Yeah, she matches him, um, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. No, um, I agree with all of that. She, by the way, is about 20 years older than him. <laughs> huh. I, I don't know if you knew that. I think um, they made his I mean, hair I'm so like, he's more the, gray
1: he, than it actually was at this time.
0: Right. I mean, he's only 42 years old right. in this. This is like before Monty Python's Meaning of Life, for example. Mm, yeah. You know, where where he plays a wide variety of ages. Um, But uh, yeah, it's – it's. Oh, see, she was born in 1912, so she's 27 years older than him. Huh.
2: I hadn't situated um, this at – I hadn't situated this movie at this point in his career. I thought, you know, this I guess my sense for not having sort of looked at a timeline is that it felt like an emeritus role. Like, oh, you know, John Cleese who's obviously very good at being very funny and very British and like we'll put him in this. I didn't realize that this was sort of, you know, smack in the middle of a lot of other really well-known work that he Yeah, it's all, you know, it's, all, it's only
0: It's only 2 years removed from Faulty Towers is what I was going to say.
2: Hmm. But wow. go on. yeah.
0: Yeah. You were going to say something about James Bond movies,
2: Leah? What? No, no. What was I?
0: I don't know. I, you said he was doing J, and then I cut oh, you off.
2: Oh no, sorry. Just that this was like you know very much in the midst of a, a whole other body of work that's well known of his, and not at all a sort of you know let's let's pull him out of retirement. Which again, there's no reason to to suspect that that was the case, except that I think I did deduce from. Her age and the way that they sort of aged him up, that um, this would have been, you know, later in his career. Although I suppose if I'd done the math, he'd be like 109 now. So um, right. you know. is the
0: thing. this movie's 30, 38 years old. Wow. Yeah. And John Cleese was just a baby back then.
2: I don't find you know, I, I I 38 years ago and the knowledge that John Cleese was 42. I just turned 40 this year. And whenever I hear the age of some celebrity, I think, hmm. What have I done with my life? <laughs> like I right. just. and nah. I'm like he was 42, really, really. Well,
0: I I remember I had an existential crisis watching the Philadelphia story a couple of years ago because uh, Jimmy Stewart Mike like says 26?
2: that
0: well yeah he he says that he's 31 and Jimmy Stewart was really 31 oh, and that's how old I was watching it. And I'm just thinking, man, he's so much like more. He's wearing a suit at home, like. <laughs> but
1: do you, want to, so so more, you want to wear a suit at home? He's not a farmer, you know. Like,
2: he's, come <laughs> he's on, he's exactly. what you, is he going to wear? Is he going to wear brown shoes after six or something? I mean, come on, <laughs> this is America.
0: Right there, you yeah, go. I don't want to wear oh, a suit. Classic. Um, but no, so yeah, I totally, I totally can relate to that because it was like, Jimmy Stewart should be my dad. He's not. <laughs> he's not the same age as me, you know.
2: So on that note of celebrity ages, because, again, I lied about no tangents, um, the cover of the New York Times magazine is about uh, Madonna at 60. So I I really ricochet between, oh, my gosh, this person was only two years older than I am when they had already achieved an enormous body of work and pulled off two extraordinary minutes of footage. And then how can Madonna possibly be 60? Because that means that I'm, you know, a million and nine. And, you know, so it's (laughs) right. uh, Right. In short kids don't google celebrity ages you won't feel good about anything.
0: Right? There you go. Um so I I guess we should talk a little bit about Piggy. Leah talked about her briefly. Um but it's throughout these minutes we get these cutaways to Piggy and he's, she's just going about her business. Like she's not doing anything especially funny here. I don't think She's just climbing up the side of the house. It's funny
1: in the way. I think it's not that funny to us. I think if you showed this to a person who doesn't think about the Muppets every day, they would probably find the image of her scooting up the wall, the outside wall of the house, to be pretty funny.
0: Yeah, that's probably true.
2: I never know. You know, this is something that will emerge when Peter and I are watching, you know, some. Muppet media of some kind and he'll sort of call out like oh this is a bit where like i it was when i first learned to like throw the muppet which was probably on like date five or something <laughs> um and i was like oh, i didn't know that was a thing um, well i think he'll that, some...
1: that term might be peter's
2: <laughs> is that the being... <laughs> i don't know of any other muppet
1: fans who use the phrase throw the muppet
2: it's a light motif that Peter has established, I suppose. Yeah. Well, um, he actually talked about it when he was he on did, the show. He did. Yes. Oh, interesting. So now we, we just sound redundant.
1: It's a um, good one,
2: though. But you know, I never, I always sort of wonder if part of what's happening is a little bit of like, you know, technological show off. Like I, the I remember um, thinking that with the bike riding in. Um, with Piggy and, and uh, Kermit on the bikes that they're, you know, it's, it's beautiful and lovely, but I am also wondering, like, are they showing that they can, I mean, it's part of what I'm supposed to be entranced by the idea of like, how did they make that happen? Um, is some of it just like the, you know, special effects aspects of it? I do. I mean, I remember again, being, attra- being, um, not attracted, being, being uh, uh, entertained by a pig climbing up the side of it. I mean, there's not a great deal of physical comedy in it, but it was sort of like, she's, I think because she's just so, um, like, dysregulated. Like, she just, of course, she's going to climb up the side of a house. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was something that I found really appealing about Piggy as a child. Like, you would expect
1: Piggy to do something like that.
2: Yeah, like I said, like, she's just all id. Like, she she contains no ability to, like, self-restrict. By the way, I was
1: thinking after you said that, I think you could make a case for Animal as also being a Muppet of pure id
2: uh probably even more so than i mean you could you could actually write an interesting because somewhere out there there's a freshman who's dying to write a term paper on like you know piggy and animal as like gendered expression of pure id identity or something (laughs) that you know
1: yeah
0: yeah well and cookie monster too i think
1: and they're all frank oz characters (laughs) Frank Oz yeah that's,
0: that's what i was gonna say i think it's just kind of a thing with him
1: hmm that somebody should write that essay.
2: That's true. That's and is and is he a particularly id driven guy? I you know, the time that I saw him in person, he he seemed actually rather reserved. Um, I know nothing about him at all. So I'm sure that, you know, someone could school me quite easily on my wrongness there. But um I don't know, you know, perhaps this is it would be really interesting if um you know, really energetic and, and sort of animated Muppet performers played more sedate sort of, you know, ego and super ego type <laughs> Muppets. Um, and, you know, someone who's fairly reserved gets an opportunity to sort of like get his yaya's by being Cookie Monster, which I think there must is be an a element
1: very, of it to that. Yeah, I think so.
2: Must be very gratifying to just go to town on a telephone or something, you know, that, that's <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> right.
0: Sure. Um I guess I guess we should I, I haven't said actually what Piggy's one line in this is which is next time they want stunts they get a double. She looks to the camera and says that. Puppets do have stunt doubles. Like this isn't the regular Piggy puppet doing the climbing, right? It's like a special puppet with legs that right, work. There, there like, might even
1: <laughs> be more than one Piggy. There is probably more than one Piggy puppet in this scene. Because I would imagine that's the regular hand puppet when it cuts to the close-up and she speaks the line. And then it's yeah. probably some kind of poser or like a sort of doll version. Because the, when there's this this shot where she's just dangling off the top of the roof, I, I feel like they, they may have just like attached that puppet's hands to the roof and then just kind of let her dangle in the wind. So that would be a different kind of puppet.
2: So this, I did not know that Muppets had stunt doubles. And here's my question are they always the same? I mean, do they build sort of custom dolls for you know, custom puppet for this is what she's going to do in this scene? Or is there like, this is the piggy puppet and this is the stunt piggy that gets deployed repeatedly, or is it just sort of ad hoc?
1: I think it probably depends on what they need the, the puppets to do in a given scene. And it's probably more common in the movies for them to do unusual things like this
2: yeah I wanted to know if there was like an angry eyes piggy somewhere that I could go like find in a warehouse. Like, is it always <laughs> the same angry eyes piggy? Or- I, would,
0: I, I would guess that the angry eyes were just were just switched out for that scene. I would yeah. Guess. in
1: that case, I think they just took off her other and put they just, like, put on they just the angry like built eyes.
0: built eyes, yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean- I mean, keep looking, you know you might find then, it you might find the holy Grail, I don't but know, but then there are
1: like uh you know there's just the hand puppet that they use that when they're shooting piggy from the waist up, and then when they need to show her whole body, there's a different puppet that has legs and you know all that kind of stuff,
0: got it, right, right well, um, I think that that discussion of piggy kind of brings us down to the end of this. Um, do you, before we go, do you have any final thoughts on these minutes, Leah? I'll start with you.
2: Um, I don't. Uh, I. I it, it is interesting that this these particular two minutes are sort of relatively Muppet free, um, you know, and that the business, the bit of business that's happening outside is pretty exciting. But like I said, that excitement is entirely lost on the folks inside. And, um, I look forward, like I said, to some psych major writing about the fundamental sadness of, you know, a a British habitual repression and then the inability to become excited even when stimulus presents itself. Awesome. (laughs) All right, Ryan. how are You, you knew I could bring it up? down, right? Like you knew I could find a way to find deep <laughs> sadness in a Muppet movie, right?
0: Oh, sure, of course. Yeah, that's that's what we were counting on.
2: <laughs> You're like, we need we need a real gloomy one. How about Leah? <laughs>
1: Aww, <laughs> no, it's really it's perfect for these minutes. But um, yeah, well, I I was just gonna mention another thing from the the July 22nd draft, which is that it actually the character's name. Uh, the, the husband character's name is Greville, rather than Reville? Neville. I have never heard the name Greville before. Really? So I guess I'm glad they changed it to Neville, because I, just something, I don't like the sound of Greville.
2: No, and Neville is so British. It sounds I mean, very yeah.
1: British. But it also notes in the stage directions that he looks like John Cleese.
2: Oh,
0: there you go.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> they yeah. were planning... Uh, They were thinking of him from the beginning, obviously. I think
0: they probably thought they could get him. I mean, you know, he was on the Muppet show. He's like, he's
1: an established friend, right? Right. They probably had a relationship with him by this point. Um, And then also just, uh, I just happened to notice this as I'm I'm, kind of skimming through the clip. Uh, We were just talking about different piggy puppets. When she climbs in the window and then falls uh, at the top of the stairs, there's a shot where we see her sitting at the top of the stairs, looking down the stairs to see if they heard the noise. And and we see her whole body there. Which means Frank Oz must be under the floor. Which means this is probably a set that they built especially for this shot. So he could, you know, stick his arm up through the floor to Puppeteer Piggy just for this shot. So just one of these little <laughs> one of these little things where they you know, they didn't even have to include this shot at all, or they could have done it an easier way. But presumably, that's what they did, and it works. Huh? Hmm.
0: Fascinating.
1: <laughs> semi-fascinating.
0: So, uh, you know, that's a that's a probably a more accurate uh, way to describe it. Yes, that is indeed semi-fascinating. And with that semi-fascinating tidbit, we are all done for today. So, um, Leo, we usually have guests talk about a little bit about like, do you remember the first time you saw this particular movie? and where would you rank it among the muppet movies
2: um i don't remember when i originally when i you know saw it initially um i would guess my parents didn't take me to see it in the theater um unless it was re-released or something because i would have been what two? Um, where would i rank it i you know and i'm going to sound you know i'm going to sound very basic right now but it's so hard for me to have anything dislodge uh the muppet movie but if I could have selected any other two minutes from a movie, it would have been Charles Grodin. And so this, like, it's it's they're sort of neck and neck for me. Um But I it's I I'd, I'd say it's more of a it's a it's an also ran in my mind. I wonder if that makes me part of the minority. You I mean, know, it's better than Muppet Treasure Island. Like, I, I don't you know. <laughs> not, I, don't know. We, um, I, I never saw we, the one where Fozzie finds where where uh, Gonzo finds out like his home planet or whatever. So I think you
1: know.
0: from space, yeah. Yeah. from space. Um, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to covering those ones on the show because I Ryan definitely likes Muppet Treasure Island more than I do, and I True. definitely like Muppets from Space more than he does. Interesting. So yeah, so it's gonna. I think it's gonna be like like as as contentious as Ryan and I ever get, which is not very. <laughs>
2: I think that's what's
0: going to happen. I will listen
2: to those episodes because I'll tell you, the two of you in in that regard remind me a little bit about when my uncles would argue during the really dark years for the Detroit Red Wings about, like, who was the better (laughs) among really awful players. Like, I mean, their seasons were just awful. Um, But, you know, when they finally went to the Stanley Cup, they – it was like you're entitled to be a fan. So the fact that like I'm, you know, I'm fair weather. Like I'll pop in for the high points, the Muppet movie Great Muppet Caper. Um, but uh, you know, you guys are doing some deep cuts there. You got some, you know, B sides, C sides, D sides there. Well done, and I will listen <laughs> just to hear you argue about like which one is less worse. Um, you know. I can't, I can't yeah, I'm, I'm so the late nineties Muppet audience. movies
1: are exactly like the Detroit Red Wings. So that's a good, uh, <laughs> a good comparison. It's true.
0: They are. So, uh, and speaking of hockey, no, that's dumb. I'm not doing that. I have nothing. I have nothing. I have nothing. All right. So that happens- taking it
2: to a sports place guys,
0: no sports are <laughs> adequate. I don't mind them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that does bring us down to the end. Um, in the meantime, please check out tough pigs on our website, on Facebook, on Twitter. We're all over the place. You can follow me on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. You can follow Ryan at me, Ryan Rowe. Leo, where can our listeners find you, if you anywhere?
2: Can, you can follow me following you all good gents if you look over my shoulder at my computer because I have no Twitter presence at all. So I should really you know get with the times. Seems like that's happening again, <laughs> Twitter and Twitter. Uh, it seems like this whole social media thing isn't going anywhere, but um, I am on Instagram. So, you know, check out pictures of my avocado toast. Yeah,
1: there
2: <laughs> <you go. laughs>
0: awesome. Um, and listeners, if you're so inclined, give us a positive review on iTunes and tell all of your friends to listen to the show and be sure to join us again next week for another Neville and Dorcas filled episode of moving right along. Goodbye.
1: See you later.
2: Thanks everybody. Thank you.